Alright, welcome back to the boys of 161st Street. Don't know what episode this is, but we have a very special episode today. Today I'd like to welcome in Eric Boland. Eric's a Yankees beat writer for Newsday Sports, and he's been down in Tampa watching the Yankees obviously get ready for the 2022 season. And uh, we know you're probably got a busy busy day ahead of you so, or behind you, so we really appreciate your time. So uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Good to, uh, thanks for inviting me. I'm glad we could work this out. Yeah. I follow you guys. I follow you guys on Twitter, so I haven't muted you guys yet. There we go. That's a plus because sometimes we tend to be a little bit uh, reactive, to say the least. May fire off a few like four different really aggressive opinions and have to go back and check ourselves out, but that's okay. It is okay. And look, and I, I, because I know that I, I fight with Yankee fans sometimes on on Twitter. Okay, a lot of times. Um, the passion of this fan base, if it didn't exist, I wouldn't have a job. Newsday would not pay me to travel all over the country and occasionally the world. I've been fortunate to go to some places I probably wouldn't have gone to otherwise uh, to cover the, the Yankees. Um, in Panama City, an example, a number of years ago, spring training of 2014, I think it was. Um, and, you know, spend six, seven weeks down here, three weeks this year, um, whatever. But if it wasn't for the intense interest that is in the team that I cover, Newsday wouldn't do that. So um, as much as I can appear to be ornery, uh, with, with some fans on Twitter, uh, I, I very much appreciate uh, collectively, not all, but collectively <laughs> the, uh, the the passion of the fan base because uh, it helps keep me employed in a job that I absolutely love. Yeah, I mean, some fans need a little bit of a little pushback on Twitter, so oh, yeah, you're doing you're doing the Lord's work out there. So Myself included on that. But. <laughs> Sometimes us too, because yeah. I mean, Chandler is usually the one tweeting, and I mean, if you check our account out during games, you're you're going to see some tweets go out and then immediately be deleted because we just told them not to <laughs> not to tweet yeah. something like that. So I, I have a tendency you know, to be a bit reactionary, but you know who's not. We also have four different admins on the same Twitter account that have four That's very true. different opinions on what happens throughout the course of the game. So yeah, we, there was just four polar opposite takes of the Donaldson trade the other night, just everywhere. We were all over the place, and everybody's like, "What are you? you what's your guys' deal? Like, pick pick a side and do something." Can I ask you guys a question? As as hardcore fans, absolutely. I was surprised at the. I would say two-to-one reaction against the trade from Yankee fans, at least basing it on my Twitter feed. Number one, is that an accurate representation that you would say that most fans seem to be against it? And the second question is why? And I'm, it's not a criticism. I was, I wasn't sure how Yankee fans would react. I think I'm usually pretty good at predicting it. I was way off on this one. I thought because there's so much dislike among the fan base with Gary Sanchez, that people would just be happy to get rid of him. That was the reaction I was expecting, and it wasn't even close. Yeah, I, mean, I, we, was, we, I was probably wrong. Yeah, we, we put up a poll uh, the night it happened, obviously. There's a lot of shock factors. So I think people were just shocked that, you know, Gary and Gio. Gary specifically, obviously, has been here, and he's like the beginning of the Baby Bomber era. So I think a lot of people, although they hated the way he's been playing the past couple years, he has a special place in their heart for when he came up, and he kind of tore it up. He doesn't have a special place in my heart, but <laughs> <laughs> I can say that. I don't like Gary Sanchez, and I'm glad he's gone. Wish him the best of luck over there, but I'm glad to. I, I'm personally in favor of the trade, but we put up a poll, and um, the majority of people were against it, albeit okay. it was the night of. But I think it was the dollar amount, and I, I oh. kind of talked about this the other day, and it's not even necessarily the dollar amount because $25 million for Donaldson, Donaldson is still a good player. Yeah, whatever, but it's just, like you said, the shock factor. It's the fact that he's aging, and it's to me it doesn't look like there's a clear – cut direction which is kind of frustrating when you can spend that same AAV and bring in a younger guy with higher upside for a longer period of time and if you really are banking on this next crop of players the Volpes and the Perazas of the world to come up and be the next baby bombers then a short-term high price move just doesn't make sense to me I think that's why I was so frustrated were you guys for trading one of those top prospects for Matt Olson? I was. If it's Volpe, I personally wasn't. Okay. But um, I mean, they're I not going to. They're not going to give up Volpe or Dominguez, so I didn't think that would. Is that who they were asking for? Do you know 
Any insight on well, that? Everyone's, everyone's asked for Volpe since last year's trade deadline, and, and not far behind is Peraza. And I have to say, I, I've talked to a lot of uh, opposing team scouts uh, that actually think uh, a higher than uh, higher Peraza than they do Volpe. Um, it's 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 closer than you, than you might think that it is uh, in terms of rival scouts. I mean, I know what the rankings, Baseball America, and all, and all that say, but um, and they're both highly rated uh, prospects. But I've heard just as many good things about Peraza as I have Volpe. How much What's does the that deal? have to do with his MLB readiness, Peraza, compared to Volpe? Uh, they think Peraza uh, probably get a shot this year. They think he's a little bit closer. And he, he ended the year at AAA last year. Um, Volpe is going to start the year in AA Somerset. Um, Peraza is going to start again, obviously, in AAA. But, you know, if you get injuries, et cetera, you know, you could see him, you know, he could get a, a fairly quick call up. So, I mean, and again, uh, talking to rival uh, scouts and the like, talent evaluators, executives, uh, they feel that he's further along in his progression, his progression towards the big leagues than Volpe is, which makes sense. He's a little bit older. Volpe is just, uh, you know, 20 at this point. Do you think with um, obviously it's a big shortstop class and free agent market being Correa, Story, and uh, and those guys, like, do you think it was more of the lack of the front office wanting to commit to the dollars that those two would ask for, or do you think it was more of the belief in these two prospects being Volpe and, and Peraza that they didn't go after a shortstop? Can I bail out and say both? Absolutely. In all honesty, it, it's kind of, you know, look, one of the things with Hal Steinbrenner, and he started talking about this, you know, 10 years ago, was he wanted a robust farm system and he wanted a combination of homegrown guys like what you saw with the last dynasty that this franchise had. Uh, we all we know all the names. Um, and then you you plug in with the marquee free agents and um, and the baby bombers is, is you know, the, the most recent, you know, attempt at doing something like that. Uh, they're obviously not all here anymore. Um, and maybe the window on those guys is, is, you know, is closing if it hasn't closed already. Um, and then again, to supplement those guys with, you know, your big name free agent here and there or trade, as was the case with John Carlos Stanton, uh, big free agent would be, you know, Garrett Cole, obviously, and, and, and plug in, you know, around the uh, around the margin. So Hal very much believes in both of those guys. He talked uh, today uh, earlier at, the, at Steinbrenner Field, mentioned both of those guys. Uh, he was asked the question about not pursuing one of those big ticket uh, items. Uh, and he mentioned those two guys as, as players that he believes in both, you know, he believes will, will uh, you know, contribute sooner rather than later uh, to the, uh, to the big league club. Uh, but Hal also has said uh, for many, many years that I don't believe that you need to have a $200 million payroll to contend for a world series on an annual basis. And has used, you know, teams like Tampa Bay as a, as an example of that. Uh, their payroll this year um, is, I think, right now at 256 million, which will be second to the Mets, and um, and it might, you know, maybe the Dodgers will go by them, depending on what happens with Freddie Freeman. But you know, the Yankees are not going to have the the top payroll this year, but they're going to have, uh, you know, probably the second or third. So I kind of have a two prong question. I'm not even sure I answered your question, by the way. I just sort of kept talking. talking. Okay. This is kind of piggybacking off that. So if that really is their plan and their goal going forward, how did all these guys fit into the lineup? Because they're obviously two shortstop prospects. You have Glaber on the roster. You've got Donaldson now for two more years. You have DJ LeMahieu for, what, seven more years, six more years, something like that. And so I guess that's kind of my question going forward. And then part B to that would be, do you see – like a Glaber Torres and stuff. He's rumored everywhere. Obviously it's just like this MLB nerds guy that also predicted Olsen to the Yankees, but you know, guys like Glaber are being projected to be packaged in a massive trade to go get, you know, Montas or Manaya or whatever the case may be. What's the plan for that going forward? Well, I mean, you, you couldn't rule something like that out. I mean, the, the, Glaber Torres certainly is not untouchable in the way that he was four or five years ago when he was considered a top position prospect in, in the sport. Um, that type of a move, which, to be very clear, I have not heard rumblings to that effect, um, but I also would not be shocked if that type of move uh, happened for all of the reasons that that you just mentioned. You know, right now, uh, DJ LeMahieu does not have a, a starting position on the field. If, if you look at what uh, the, the Yankees' home opening uh, infield 
will look like probably against Boston on April 7th, uh, DJ LeMay, he was probably not in there. Um, so, you know, to me, to me, they boxed themselves. I don't know how I feel about this trade in terms of evaluating. I'm not a fan. Um, I, I get paid the same whether the Yankees win or lose, so I, I try to be fair in my coverage. I've criticized the Yankees uh, for certain things. I've been very critical of certain things that they've done with their analytics department. We can talk about that later if you want or not. Um, and then I've certainly praised them and pushed back when you know fans were angry about something, and, and I thought the Yankees w- were right. Um, I don't know how I feel about this trade yet from a baseball standpoint, and I do what I always do when these things happen and I'll reach out to scouts and and executives from other teams and see how they feel about it. And I have to say it was about a 50, 50 split. Um, So I, to me, it's a problem. DJ LeMayhew is a three time gold glove winning second baseman, and he's not going to be playing full time at second base, but a healthy Donaldson is not as flashy as Glaber, but, or I'm sorry, not as flashy as Geo, uh, but he's still a damn good third baseman. And, you know, the, the shortstop is, is an immeasurable improvement over, you know, what you had there uh, last year because Glaber just obviously that experiment didn't work. So the left side of the infield uh, is definitely stronger than it was a year ago. Uh, Rizzo is a huge improvement at first base. You guys saw for 49 games last year. Um, much better than Luke Voigt. He worked his rear end off uh, trying to get better and, you know, he just, he's just not, he's just not a good fielding first baseman. Uh, Rizzo, even, you know, as he's past 30, 32 now, uh, is still much better there. And Glaber is an average to at times, you know, above average second baseman. So you're not getting killed there, but the infield's not, still not as good as it could be if you had, uh, LeMahieu there. So, uh, I, I again, I, I, I can see why the fan base is kind of split on the, the trade because I, I think there's a lot of good arguments for it. Uh, but there's plenty of arguments against it too. And I do think that to answer your question, um, that they have kind of boxed themselves in a little bit there. But as I continue to rambling on in this answer, and I promise I'll wrap it up here, <laughs> we, we've all watched a lot of baseball. Guys get hurt, stuff happens. Yeah. And sometimes things just uh, end up working out. Um, not always in a positive way, but you know, when, whenever you think that you have you know seven or eight starting pitchers uh, going into spring training, magically you end up with five yeah. for a yeah. variety Especially of reasons. Whether it's, it's under what, whether it's underwhelming performance or injuries or whatever, um, and I, you know, I, I tend to think the same thing's going to happen with the infield. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to tell us twice about injuries, but there's Brett Gardner was our everyday center fielder last year, and who no, no one really anticipated that, and he might be <laughs> this year upcoming. <laughs> Nobody knows what's going on with him. He's probably waiting outside Steinbrenner right now. So, I mean, you could probably get some update on that. But uh, you mentioned uh, us being better off with DJ in the field. What are the chances do you think that he – I personally would rather have him starting second base over Glaber. If, he, if we're talking one of them is the odd man out because they're both second basemen, Donaldson would be the third baseman, and Rizzo obviously would be the first baseman. I don't, I don't see why – I mean, offensively, Glaber wasn't really that great last year. Obviously, he has the potential we don't want to not play him because he's – like you said, that he was the top prospect and he was potentially a, at at one point the Yankees' cornerstone player. Him and Judge, the like past two years we've been talking about who would you start a team around? Or two years ago, not last year, Judge or Glaber. That was a conversation. Mm-hmm. So I could see why you wouldn't would not want to play him. But I, I, what are the chances you think that it's just DJ there and then Glaber is the one on the bench? I don't think it'll start that way, but I think Glaber is going to have a somewhat of a short leash. And I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, and I, and I, you know, everyone makes fun of reporters and believe me, we deserve it a lot of times, but the uh, best shape of our life, you know, I'm in the best shape <laughs> of my career things, you know, we all, you know, tweeted that at some point. I got, I, 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 th- I hope I haven't tweeted that in at least 10 years because it, it, it is a cliche, doesn't mean anything, et cetera, et cetera. That said, you do see certain guys come in looking differently than they did the year before. I think that's the context that should be used when when we as reporters talk about a guy who looks like he's in great shape. I think you need to put some context on it. Um, and Glaber looks different than he did when the season ended last year. It looks like he leaned out a little bit, added some muscle, 
you know, the little bit that I've seen on the field maybe looks like the range has improved somewhat. Uh, I'm not going to evaluate batting practice. I'll let scouts do that. You know, if I, if I saw the game like a scout or a hitting coach, I'd be a scout or a hitting coach. I'll be one of the few people in the business that won't pretend to know more than I do when it comes to that type of thing. Um, but he does look like a different guy. And I think his attitude might be a little bit better too. You know, there was some concern behind the scenes with the Yankees last year that, you know, he, he came up as a rookie was terrific, then hit 36 home runs the next year. And then maybe he got a little bit too big for his britches and maybe thought he had, you know, had achieved more than he really had. And maybe that contributed to the, to the down season last year. So uh, I think he came into camp uh, after a winter in which he was very motivated to get better. You see things like like Cameron Maven was talking about the other day, and it kind of plays into all of this, about how big the locker room presence is and having a close-knit group of guys. And you hear it all the time from ex-big leaguers, so that's what leads me to believe that obviously it's a pretty important thing, and growing up you feel the same way. But to me, and at least I know from the outside, especially from the fans, it feels like we're one thing away from everything just crumbling. You know, you're talking about Glaber getting a little too big for his britches. You got Donaldson coming in, who him and Cole, obviously they have their past. You trade away G- or, uh, Glaber's best friend in Geo. Gary's been a cornerstone since 2017. Say what you want about his performance on the field, but he was the original baby bomber. Uh, I mean, you can't deny that there's like seismic shifts in the clubhouse. I mean, the Luke Voigt, the Anthony Rizzo. Do you feel that being around them, that there's maybe a little added tension? Obviously, nobody's going to walk around and just be like, oh, man, yeah, that trade sucked. I I hate that, you know, Josh Donaldson's here. Uh, but you can feel a different air around it if there is something. Well, if you're talking specifically about Cole and Donaldson, I, I you know, I, I that most of that stuff's BS. Yeah. It really is. Like, it, we, we in the media – fans but more us in the media have these storylines sometimes that that drive me crazy and, and if you follow me enough on twitter over the years i i'm very critical of certain narratives that take shape and i'm more than happy to make fun of them uh because i think they're stupid and i'll give you one and i'll answer your question in a second but one that drives me absolutely crazy and it kept happening last year over and over and over again was the team meeting oh yeah Oh, it's a team meeting and everything's going to get turned around. And so and so stood up in the middle of the, the clubhouse and, and addressed the team and fire and brimstone and everyone's on a, on the same page and common goal. And it's all nonsense. It really is. And I, I remember when I started my career, and I'm much older than you guys. I'm in my 26th year in the business, not covering the Yankees, but 26th year in the business. I remember my first job in Warren, Ohio, talking to an NFL player, Jerry Ball, who was a player on the expansion Cleveland Browns, who were terrible in 1999. And there was a, you know, they were 0 and 10 or something like that. They're just god awful, as you would expect. Not much has changed with the Cleveland Browns. Um, and I remember talking to him and breathlessly, oh, I heard you guys had a team meeting. And he goes, he goes, young man, I don't know how long you plan to be in this business, but let me give you a piece of advice. The teams that have the most meetings lose a lot. The point is, is that you only hear about team meetings when teams are losing a little bit. And most of the time they don't make a damn bit of difference. They really don't. Yeah. It's all, it's a cliche narrative. We all get excited about it. And it's, and then, and then they win that night. And usually they have the team meeting before Garrett Cole pitches. So then you go out and win. It's like, Oh, see the team meeting follows, you know, but every team, but every team does. I'm not just, you know, I'm just using that as an arbitrary example. Um, I remember when Brian Cashman addressed the team in, in, in Buffalo a couple of years ago in September when they kind of they were going downhill during the COVID shortened oh, season. I remember that. And, and everybody went, oh, Brian Cashman addressed the team. They got shut out, I think, four to nothing that night. Yeah. Is that the game? And, and that's, I you think know, somebody and, took like a no-hitter into like the fifth or sixth inning. With I, I think game. so. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember who it was, but I think your memory's right on that. I, and if it wasn't four nothing, it was a game that, that 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 they just didn't perform well and got you know very little done and all that. Um, and I'm not saying they're all you know never night right never. Not saying that there's never value to them, but I think the Yankees led the league in team meetings that were reported last year. I mean, Honest they're, to God, they're a so, big market team. Every time they have a slide, you have to have your 
you know, superhero Aaron Judge get everybody back and rally them, rally the troops. So, but the thing of it is, the, but the players for the most part kind of laugh at that stuff too. That we make such a big deal out of it. But here's my point: so Donaldson and Cole have their thing, you know, last year, and it definitely was an issue. You know, one of the things that you know you, you hear, you know, player on player crime is something that really is not tolerated in a, in a clubhouse. You know, you never talk about uh, another guy's salary. You never talk about another guy's, you know, situation in terms of getting, uh, you know, sent up or down. Uh, you know, Clint Frazier walked into that one a couple of years ago when, when he, he he indicated kind of and when he was uh, optioned after a, a series in Chicago that it should have been Mike Talkman that got sent down instead of him. Uh, didn't say it out loud, but he if you read between the lines, that's pretty much what he said. Didn't go over real well in the clubhouse. You know, there's, so there's certain things that you just don't do uh, as a player. Um, and uh, Donaldson, you know, mentioning Cole by name, I don't even call I will not say it was calling him out. If you were standing on the field at Target Field last year, as I was, when Josh Donaldson made those comments, if you took them all contextually, he really was not calling out Garrett Cole. Cole was the first guy of the, the, the you know, the big pitchers, if you will, um, who had been rumored to have been using this stuff for you know years uh, to take the mound after the crackdown had been announced by MLB, and he just happened to be the first guy. And Donaldson mentioned that. But if you you know his entire 15-minute interview on the field, um, if you were listening to it, that wasn't his point. It wasn't Garrett Cole this, Garrett Cole that. It was, and what a coincidence, Garrett Cole in his first start since the crackdown uh, was announced uh, didn't pitch very well. And then he went on and never mentioned Cole again. He was asked about Cole because there was some New York reporters there, uh, and I don't remember what I asked him. I may have even followed up with Cole, so I'm not separating myself in that regard. But I think in my story that I wrote the next day, I didn't portray it as him necessarily calling out Garrett Cole rather than it was him mentioning him as part of a bigger problem in the game. And, oh, by the way, you know who had a real big problem with a lot of that sticky stuff last year? Yankees hitters. John Carlos Stanton, DJ LeMahieu, Brett Gardner. Aaron Judge, the list goes on and on. All of them, either publicly or behind the scenes, complained about the same thing. So, you know, this was not a Josh Donaldson versus Garrett Cole type of a thing that was unique to the Yankees. And, oh, my God, how are they going to get along in the clubhouse? It was something that they didn't need to address because it was a narrative that kind of got out of control. He did mention Cole by name. It pissed Cole off, and rightfully so. Both guys were right. That, that, that's, yeah. that's the thing about this whole thing. So, you know, we make a huge issue of those types of things. And once they talked, which they needed to do, and they did so in Aaron Boone's office, um, you know, the both veteran guys, neither one's won a World Series, both desperately want to win a World Series. And they're both really good players. Cole's a great pitcher. Uh, Donaldson, while on the tail end of his career, uh, is a, uh, still a former MVP who, you know, last year, you guys remember, did some damage against the Yankees. Um, and is two years removed from a really good year with Atlanta. If he's healthy, if he's on the field, he's a damn good third baseman. Um, so that's not a – I think this is a five-minute answer to your question, but um, <laughs> in terms of clubhouse dynamic, those two would be the absolute least of my worries. I'm not saying that there is a worry in there, but I would just dismiss that out of hand. Yeah, yeah. I just, you know, I just met them as like one small part of it just because there's been so many changes, and I'm not suggesting that – you know, Gio Urshela leaving the Yankees is going to cause a huge riff in the team. It just feels like you've lost some big names, not in terms of maybe production, but big names as far as clubhouse guys. Sure. You know, you always see pictures of Gio and Glaber together yep. and how they have this inseparable relationship. And then, like I said, Gary Sanchez has been there forever. You know, like him, love him, hate him, whatever. And, and, and then you tie in the Luke Voigt. He's very public about him not playing anymore and Rizzo coming back and the Yankees shopping for a first baseman for the last God knows how long year and a half, you know, that that's kind of more of my concern is that all of these little things compounding that there may eventually be a boiling point. And that could be way off base, but you know, yeah, I would say this with clubhouse chemistry, you know, it's always a, a, a work in progress that generally, you know, this is what spring training, you know, this is where those bonds are formed. Right. When new guys come in, you know, it's a little bit more relaxed. There's not the the intensity of the regular season where, you know, Brian Cashman, I remember from my first year covering the team in 2009, had a great line about baseball in New York. He said it's 162 game, one game seasons. Every game is treated like basically game seven of the World Series. They lose the season opener and it's catastrophe 
They start 0-2, it's catastrophe, but then they win one in a row, and it's here, they've got it going now. Um, and I write for a tabloid. I, I'm, I'm guilty of, of treating game stories that way, too. Like, oh, you know, I, so I, I'm not, again, not separating myself. But Cashman's right. It, it is treated like, you know, 162 one-game seasons. Um, you don't have that in spring training, although it's starting to infiltrate that way where, you know, spring training at bats and, and, and the like get analyzed in a way that they shouldn't. And, right. and we, we look ridiculous in the media. That's for fans to do. And I'm not criticizing. I'm not critic. I, I was the same way. Trust me. Uh, when I was, you know, when I was not doing what I'm doing. So, um, but when the media does that, we look really stupid, honestly. Um, a referee doing it, you know, you know, Gary Sanchez has a pass ball, the first spring training game. And it's like, Oh boy, well, he didn't work on his defense at all. Well, let's to be fair. He it's probably did spring, It's spring training. <laughs> I, no, I, no, 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 I'm going to defend Sanchez for something. Austin Romine, a conversation is locker. You, you guys remember Austin Romine backup Absolutely. catcher, very good defensive catcher. Cool. Talking to him one day at his locker said, nobody knows and understands how hard Gary Sanchez works. And Austin Roman was not the type that would BS you on stuff like that. And he was more than happy to tell you what was what. Yeah, you know, he wasn't gonna, you know, if you put a recorder in front of him, then he'd probably give you the um, you know, the stock answer. But uh, you know, if a guy dogged it or wasn't working hard, et cetera, was, you know, maybe on the in the training room a little more than he should be, you know, Roman was pretty honest. Uh, and he said I still remember clear as day. He goes, that guy works his ass off. So I always push back on the Gary Sanchez's lazy narrative. Now, look, is he a good defensive catcher? No. Did he improve along the margins in certain areas? Yes, he absolutely uh, did. Will he ever be a good catcher? Probably not. You know, you know, you know why I don't play the piano? Because I can't. <laughs> and he just, he just, he just may not ever develop into, yeah. you know, a good catcher. But here's the thing. Nobody ever talked about his defensive deficiencies when he came up in 16 and hit 20 home runs in 49 games or whatever it was, or 2017 when he was an all-star his first full season. Uh, 18 wasn't very good, but the 19 was real good again. He made the all-star team, and you didn't hear about his defense, uh, you know, those seasons either. So, you know, I remember one pitcher saying about Jorge Posada, who, as you guys recall, didn't have you the reputation as a great defensive catcher, said, you know, he's a pain in the ass until he hits that three-run homer in the sixth or seventh yeah. inning, then you love throwing to him. It's the same thing with Gary Sanchez. That's true. Was there ever actual they, – they blow it way out of proportion, but from your knowledge, is there actually like this huge narrative that the top guys, the Corey Kluber, the Garrett Cole, Jamison Tyone, that they just refuse to throw to Gary Sanchez? Like was that a no. huge problem or is that just a big fabricated thing? I mean, look. I mean, there's no question that Garrett Cole preferred throwing to Kyle Higashioka, oh, yeah. and 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 the the Yankees, you know, trying to send out the, some kind of contrary narrative is ridiculous. I mean, Cole clearly preferred throwing uh, to, to to Kyle. That's not that unusual, and I, I just had always wished that the Yankees would just admit that. You know, I remember my second year. I want no. It was actually the end of the first year in 2009. You know, um, AJ Burnett, who you know, who was who he was is kind of an inconsistent pitcher, but uh, a lot of fanfare when he signed before that 09 season, you remember, uh, and still pitched one of the, the key games in that postseason run, game two, after CC got beat by Cliff Lee in game one of that World Series. Burnett won game two, it was huge. But you remember, he didn't like throwing to Jorge Posada. So they had Jose Molina was his personal catcher. And Joe Girardi, the manager at the time, you know, basically said, yeah, you know what? That's some guys just prefer throwing to certain catchers. And you know what? Jose Molina is his personal catcher. That's who Burnett is most comfortable throwing to. Doesn't mean that Posada, you know, suddenly is a bad guy or a bad catcher or a bad teammate and that the other guys don't want to throw to him. It's just in this case, AJ Burnett prefers throwing to Molina. So that's what we're going to do because that puts Burnett in the best position to succeed. That's what the Yankees just should have said. I don't no, know why no. they dodge those questions so much now. Well, uh, yeah, that's a whole other you know topic. <laughs> I, when, when something is you know, yeah, you know, such a cliche, and I'm not yeah. beyond using cliches if you ever read me. Um, you know, walks like a duck, talks and quacks like a duck, etc. You know, it, it, obviously it was his personal catcher. That's fine. Just acknowledge it and, and move on. It was it's it's right there in front of you. It's right Does there in front of, of you. Frustrating for you it being in the media, the just the roundabout answers. Because from our standpoint, at least, you know, we we're not there 
we don't see the whole narrative. We don't hear the entire conversation. We see the snippets on social media and stuff like that. And it seems like anytime there's any sort of rough patch whatsoever, or anytime a, even a contested question is asked, nobody can get a straight answer. Is that frustrating for you? Or is that just another just kind of narrative that we see? You know, the longer I've been doing this, it, it, I just kind of laugh at it. And you also, sometimes you learn to read between the lines and then sometimes you just, you know, you talk to other people off the record in the organization who might give it to you straight. Yeah. And so the, I don't want to say lies, but the, the, you know, the roundabout answer that you talk about, I just may not use it. And I'll just, or I might say, you know, despite, you know, despite that, the, the, despite this being said, you know, behind the scenes, this is what it, it really means, or this is what's really going on. Um, I think that one of Aaron's problems is, you know, he always, and just using injuries as an example, oh my God. is it, it's always right away downplayed. Do you think it's serious? Well, you know, we think it'll just be a day or two. And then it and turns into, John. right, exactly. And so, and that's happened so many times that, you know, even, you know, Joe Girardi had what I thought at times was an unfair reputation as being difficult with us. I had a very professional, Joe's not a buddy. I don't have a cell phone number or anything like that. I have emailed him periodically for stuff that I've wanted. Maybe he'll, he'll get back to me, uh, but we're not friends, you know, you know, drinking buddies or anything like that. We had a good professional relationship. So I'm not, you know, defending him because, Oh, you know, my friend was getting criticized, but I thought he was unfairly portrayed as being difficult. Um, but in terms of injuries, if, if, you know, a pitcher had elbow soreness or shoulder soreness or a, a player had a hamstring or an ankle that cropped up or lower back. And you said, you know, oh, are you concerned about it? Joe wouldn't say, you know, yeah, we're screwed. But he would say, yeah, you know, backs are tricky. So, you know, we don't think it's serious, but there would always be a caveat of, hey, you never know with hamstrings. You never know with soft tissue injuries. You never know with shoulders. Anytime a pitcher tells you that his elbow is a little bit sore, you're always going to be concerned until he gets back on that mound again. And Aaron doesn't always do that. Yeah, we it's don't, always we don't the, get those the, straight answers. You, you don't get – well, but it's not necessarily even a straight answer. It's leaving yourself an out. Yeah, that's true. It's leaving yourself an out of, I don't think it's serious, but hamstring, you know, all the things that I just mentioned that can suddenly turn into a two week or a month or two months, you know, type of a thing. And rather than your knee jerk reaction being, yeah, we think it's good. <laughs> I do have one just, question real yes. quick before we put a bow. Cause I, what led to all this was talking about the catchers and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, it's kind of backtracking a little bit. So sorry in advance, <laughs> but how do you right. see the split going between uh, Higashioka and Ben, excuse me if I butcher his last name, I don't even remember, I don't know how to pronounce it, so I'm not even going to try. But um, do you think that trading for a catcher is actually a possibility, or is, is, are we just going to get a true split between Piggy and this guy that looks like the Hulk? <laughs> um, I, I, that, that's a great question, and I, I wouldn't rule it out, but I can tell you this, the, the Yankees analytics department, uh, which, which you know runs the team for better or worse, um, they have loved Higashioka for years. And the reason why Austin Romine was, you know, basically, you know, non-tender DFA, whatever, is no longer with the team is because they wanted uh, Higgy as, as the backup catcher. I, I'm not criticizing that. It's just, that's just the reality. Uh, and Higgy's a, a really good defensive catcher. The thing that I've been told about Higgy for years from, from scouts. And again, I always say rival scouts, opposing team scouts. And there's a specific reason that I do that when I'm talking about pro prospects or evaluating players. I know how the Yankees feel. They think everyone's great. Oh yeah. Especially when it comes to, pro especially come when it comes to prospects, but a player's true value when you're talking about prospects is determined by other teams. Yeah. So that's why I talk to other teams about these guys. Yeah. Anyway, what, what I heard for years from opposing team scouts about, about Higgy was that if he plays, he's a great backup guy, excellent one day a week, two days a week, or in a pinch, you get somebody hurt, you know, you, you play him for a week or so, but him prolonged at bats, he'll probably get exposed as we a hitter. We saw that last year a little bit. I mean, he yes, took over yes, for a little bit, if I'm not mistaken, and then he immediately got benched like a month after in, that. So In April, yeah, it was in April, and uh, he had a couple of home runs. He had a two-home run game. I think it was in Cleveland, but I'm not positive on that. But, uh, you know, had a real good stretch for a week or two, and then, you know, tailspin, and, and you know, that was that. Uh, I like Higgy a lot. 
uh, and pitchers like him a lot. He's very good with pitchers, popular guy in the clubhouse. Um, so this is not a, a personal thing, but you know, he has not shown that long-term he can hit Yankees analytics department disagrees with that. The Yankees analytics department doesn't really believe in pro scouting. That's a whole nother issue. Um, but so we'll, we'll see how that turns out. So to answer your question, could I see them trading for another catcher? It would not shock me. Um, but I also know that certain influential members of the Yankees analytics department would like to see him get, you know, a long-term chance. So I don't think you're going to see a straight platoon. I think he's going to get the majority of the time to start the season. And then, you know, we'll see how it, it, it shakes out from there. Uh, also with trading for a catcher, again, talking to executives and scouts over the years, the position that has the least amount of depth, quality depth in Major League Baseball, and guys have been talking about this for 10-plus years, is catching. Talking to a manager from another team in November because I thought the Yankees might non-tender uh, Sanchez and perhaps trade for a catcher, and this manager said to me, he goes, catching in Major League Baseball is horse bleep. <laughs> he didn't say horse bleep. <laughs> If you've got if you've got it, you're not looking to get rid of it. Yeah. So, so they may want to trade for a catcher, a proven catcher, but I think that's going to be pretty hard to do. You think Wells will stick back there? I've seen a lot of stuff about him going to first, but now you know you got Rizzo for what was it two or three more years, and if it seems like Wells is on the horizon, I don't know. Yeah. The 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 Yankees uh, when the uh, during the lockout a bunch of the beat reporters went to, came down here for you know minor league camp and and some of the top prospects came out and uh, Kevin Reese the you know runs the minor leagues uh, came out and um, coaches and all that and everyone with the Yankees insists that he will stick at catcher I have not talked to one opposing team scout that believes that he'll catch in the big leagues okay, that perfect. does look but that's i didn't i didn't pull 30 of them i didn't pull 40 of them that's you know a small handful you know half dozen 10 whatever um they like the bat they think his position is going to be you know somewhere else how are the but they, scouts on a, a center fielder named brandon lockridge good good most of the thing most of the things that i've heard that was good. a long pause yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, because we're talking about Austin Wells, so I had to. I had to. I'm old. No, I have okay. to process process things sometimes. I, I had to sneak that in there. I saw my window. You know, you were talking about the the minor league director. I did. Hmm. Had to see how they were feeling about my boy over there. He's friends with. Well, how is he your boy? <laughs> He's just been one of my friends for a while. Oh, okay. Fun yeah, fact, I, I, I have heard of cable in his I, freshman year dorm. I have, so. But <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to I'm going to say something that some people in my business don't always do. I have not asked about him in a while. So initial, I don't ask about every single, you know, minor leaguer, top prospect, et cetera, et cetera. Ones that I'm particularly interested in or who are off to a good start or off to a bad start. I will check in on. I have not asked about him in a while. So the last time I asked about him, the reports were good, but I also can give you an, I don't know for what the most recent evaluations of him are. No, that's fair. But I will say, I can also... make something, I can make something up though. Yeah, if as long as it's good, go ahead. Just real true journalism. Let me know it's only the positives. Let me tell you, I've seen a lot worse in my field, that's for sure. Okay, it's easy to see a lot worse. I mean, he's like the fastest guy in the organization, if I'm not mistaken. True 80-grade speed. We could use that. That's all I'm saying. Well, that's why they re-signed, uh, they brought Tim LaCastro back. That's so well. With yeah. one knee. I, him, I mean, Aaron Hicks. Is he? Is he still out there? Is he healthy? I don't I mean, all indications are are that he is uh, that he is healthy, um, but and I've written this a handful of times in Newsday. Mark Teixeira had a very similar situation with a torn tendon sheath. Cost him his career. And it cost him. Well, I mean, I think his body just overall kind of broke down. But that was that was definitely you know a, a starting point. But he he suffered that injury. I think it was the 2013 World Baseball Classic, torn tendon sheath in his. I think it was his left wrist, but don't quote me on that. But he, but it was during the WBC, rest and rehab, tried to play through it, eventually couldn't, had surgery in July of that year. Came back the next spring training, was cleared, was healthy, et cetera, et cetera. He did not feel that wrist was right until 2015. 
And I know that for a fact because he talked about it then. And then I was texting with him after the uh, uh, Hicks uh, situation last year. And, you know, the same thing. It just it took him longer than what, you know, him showing back up healthy uh, the following spring training. So uh, all indications are that he is healthy. But until we see it on a day to day basis, you have to keep that in your back of your mind. That's one of those tricky injuries that sometimes takes longer for guys to heal. I'm not saying that that's going to impact Hicks the entire season, but it's something it's, to put in the, in the back of your mind. It's a relatively short turnaround. Not really, but if you compare it to Teixeira, that took you know two years. It's, Basically, Especially yes. a guy that's been injured. He had Tommy John in 2019, so it's kind of compounding a little bit. It's a little scary. Is there a world that he doesn't start opening day uh, in center field? I've seen stuff, reports that Aaron Judge is going to play a, dec- a decent amount of center field. I think it was you that tweeted that Boone said that um, Stanton's going to see a good share of time in the outfield, which I just don't believe. They've told us that for two years now. But, you know, opening they, day, they who's have, your center fielder? I think it'll be Hicks. I mean, Hicks obviously, not. unless he gets hurt. But, I, I mean, I think that, that I think that's the plan. I don't think you're going to see you know Judge in center field on, on opening day. I do believe you'll see a bit more of him uh, in center. He likes playing out there. You saw last year when when the, you know outfielders were going down that they, they threw him out there and, and he you know he played center field in college as you guys know. Uh, he moves much better uh, than when you would think a guy his size uh, would move. Um, he's a he's a quality center fielder. Could he play there five days a week? I don't know. I I, I don't know that answer. Um, I, he's a heck of an athlete and he's a really good right fielder. I think he's gold glove caliber out there. So I, I think he probably could. Um, but I think Hicks will be the center fielder on, uh, on opening day. What was the last? Oh, Stanton. You're right. They, they've, they've, you know, I don't want to say shoveled that at us over the years, but, um, they kind of have, they would say, oh yeah, we're going to, we're going to put them out there. And then they never did, but they finally did last year, July 30th. I think it was in Miami interleague. Uh, they put him out there, and then he played 26 games in the field from July 30th on. So that was one where they actually did follow through on saying we're going to play him out there, and they did. I actually believe that, again, barring injury or something that would prohibit him from doing it, I don't want to say take him at their word because I've been doing this long enough not to uh, not not to do that, uh, you know, sight unseen. But the fact that he did play 26 games in the field uh, from July 30th last year on would suggest to me that the, that they actually are committed to him seeing some, some more time out there than you've seen in the past. It doesn't make sense to me why they don't. It seems like every part of his game just gets significantly better when yeah. he's out there. And, again, that's just the eye test. And, obviously, I don't have the awesome analytics department that the Yankees do to back me, but – you know, watching it on a day-to-day basis. You're, you're throwing a softball at me there. I'm, I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to swing at it. But I will say this: Stanton, Stanton, clearly, clearly, a wanted to be out there. Yeah. You know, people forget that. You know, he was a really durable player for the Marlins. You know, there was no DH when he was with Florida for the first eight years of his career. He was in the outfield an awful lot, and he was a decent outfielder. He's not going to win Gold Gloves, but he was. He was fine. You know. Yeah. Um, and he, he wants to be on in the field. Most guys don't like DHing. Um, and you know, they feel like they're more in the game, yeah. uh, when, when they're in the field. And so, yeah, I, 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 it passed the eye test, but I think it also passed, you know, every other test where, uh, he hit better yeah. when he, when he, when like he played that, in the field. A guy like that too, that's, you know, 95% muscle. Again, I'm, I'm not a doctor. I don't know anything, but. It seems like keeping him warm, letting him run around is probably better for injuries. I know that their whole reason for keeping him on the bench and keeping him as a DH is to preserve him. But, you know, at least in my logic, keeping him out there warm with a guy that's all muscle is good for him. Hey, look, bottom line, when we asked John Carlos Stanton that question last year and then asked him the same question again when he he met with us a couple of days ago, he said yes. Okay. It did impact so, me in a positive way. So, okay. you know, you know I, I don't always take uh, players at their word on certain topics, but on that one, I kind of do. I feel like John Carlos stands a real straight shooter. We I saw it, Yeah, I, I, yeah, and you saw the it. Numbers I mean, were it, better it was, when, he joined, when he went to the outfield and he played all that, the games. So that's, that's, absolutely. No, no question. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, and to answer the last part, yes, I, I, he, does, he has always struck me, and my experience with him has been while he's on the quiet side, 
you know, you ask them a, a fairly pointed, direct question, you'll you'll get that in reply. So the biggest, another big question with our other behemoth outfielder that is also quiet, Mr. Aaron Judge, and you can go ahead and pass it if you want, but is there any sort of smoke or steam to Hal saying they want to get his extension done by the season? Also, with this new COVID vaccine stuff going on in the city, is that going to play against him at all? Do they even see that as a threat? I know they had Randy Levine down in City Hall, but is that a reason that they would use to not extend him before the season? First of all, with the vaccination status, because none of that stuff is public, I know everyone's read between the lines. It's just not, you know, I mean, I do know who, was not vaccinated last year because right. I'm not doing my job if I don't poke around yeah. behind the scenes to get that information. But I, I've never outed anybody. Um, I did ask Judge last year on a Zoom call uh, if he was vaccinated. He chose not to answer, and he, he wasn't you know, thrilled with the question, which is his right. And um, you know, I'm not sure I'd be thrilled with it either. But yeah. uh, it was some. It was it was one of our jobs to ask, and yeah. it just you know, what whatever. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, it's but, none of our it, business. It's just, I'm just curious if yeah. they'll use that against him. You know, I mean, look, I don't believe so. I mean, it, the bottom line is, is that he's a homegrown star. He by far is the most popular player amongst the fan base. They know that uh, they want to extend him. Uh, I don't believe something will get done before the start of the regular season. That's um, I, I think that, um, the Yankees perspective on this, and this is not coming out of reporting necessarily, but um, there's durability concerns there. We've all seen it. You know, his, his prior to last year, he had not had a full healthy season since 2017, his breakout rookie, rookie of the year season. Um, and even then, remember, he battled some, some issues six weeks out of the all-star break and then caught fire again. Uh, in September and, and uh, you know, nearly caught Altuve for the, for the MVP award. Some I know that's a whole, pa- I, know that's, I know that's a whole <laughs> Pandora's box on that. Um, but, you know, he, he had a healthy 217 for the most part and then 18, 19, 20, not healthy. And then last year we saw, you know, he's, he's look, he's one of the best all around players in the sport. We all know that uh, when he's able to stay on the field, I do believe that there's a segment in the Yankees organization that want to see him do it two years in a row and then see how the year plays out and then pay him accordingly um, or try to pay him accordingly. It's a gamble. If you give him the mega deal now in spring training and he gets hurt, then you say, oh, well, maybe we missed on that one. You know, look what happened with Severino. Now the, the deals are completely different. I mean, Sevy yeah. was, that was 40 million, four years. Um, but 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 the reality is, since he signed that extension, I think he started all of six games or so. Right. Um, looks like he's healthy. You know, we'll see how, what this year brings. But I think there's a sort of a game of chicken with Judge, where you know Judge also fully realizes I'm not going to shortchange myself and get pressured into signing a deal before the start of the regular season when I firmly believe I can play 150 games plus, whatever, 145. I can stay on the field a full season put up an MVP caliber year, which I know I'm going to do if I'm healthy because that's all I've ever done when I've been healthy. And then let's see what kind of a contract I can get because a completely healthy Aaron Judge coming off an MVP caliber season is probably going to you know, make a run perhaps at maybe not in terms of years, but in terms of annual average value, what you know a guy like Lindor got or what a guy like Scherzer got and you can go down the line of Cole, the, the ones who have, you know, 29, 30 billion plus uh, per season as an annual average value because the judge's age, he probably wouldn't get the eight, nine, 10 years. Uh, but the type of season that I'm talking about would not prohibit him from asking for that. Right. There's no chance the Yankees give him that kind of a deal uh, prior to the start of the regular season. I don't know if that answers your question or not, but that's the reason why, because it's kind of complex. Yeah. No, it I mean, I know you guys understand what I'm saying, but yeah. but because there's complexities involved with that, I don't think there's time in two weeks to get something like that I just done. Think it's I will terrifying... absolutely, I will absolutely tweet that I'm dead wrong on that, <laughs> and tweet, tweet it at you guys if something gets okay. done before the start, or or you could tweet at me yeah. and say, "Yeah, nice call, Bolin." Um, I, had one... I, that, I Okay. I don't believe it'll get done. I don't, I don't believe it'll get done before the start of the regular season. One thing you mentioned, a part of that, is that 
you know, if he doesn't get a deal done, then he has to show that he plays a full season and kind of bet on his, himself to play 150 games plus. Mm. A large part of that, playing 150 games plus, is their load management that they have with him and Giancarlo. So, like, yeah. a part, uh, me as a fan, I get pissed about them not giving them the full, like, just let them play. Every other, you look around the league, and Acuna is a bad example because he got hurt, but other players, <laughs> they play 150 plus games. They play pretty much the whole season. It seemingly they don't miss and, for travel rest and they don't miss for travel or scheduled rests, especially well, last year. It seemed in the year before when players are hot, we had a running joke that like, Oh, he's too hot. He has to get a rest and he might actually get a day off the next day. Cause it's scheduled when he's seven for seven. But like a part of that is, you know, are the Yankees, I mean, if I'm, if I'm judge, I'm going to start getting mad if they do that and we don't have a deal because he has to prove that he could play that many games and they can't just baby him. So, well, but I mean, I think that's, I don't want to say it's overblown, but Judge, I think, played 148 games last year. I don't have it in front of me, but, you know, I mean, he wasn't rested, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't once every four days that he was getting, you know, sat down. And look, that is kind of a league-wide thing, and, and we can agree or disagree on the philosophy behind it, uh, but most teams do some form of load management. You know, you remember uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr.'s uh, rookie year when he famously got sat on a, a, a Canada Day or whatever it was, I can't remember what the <laughs> holiday was, but but there was all sorts of controversy in Toronto because one of their national holidays, an afternoon Monday or something like that, and mm, that was that was Vladdy's day to rest. Um, you know, so th this stuff happens, you know, across the sport. Uh, I do sometimes, you know, I, I, I'm I'm not a purist by any stretch of the imagination with any of this stuff. You know, they want to put logos and patches on uniforms. and I, The Yankees want to put last names in the back of the jerseys. I really don't care. Um, you know, I, I really am not married to any, any of this stuff. So I, I don't come from the school of, oh, everyone needs to play 162 games. <laughs> I'm just, it's just, the reality is, is that nobody really does that anymore. Yeah. yeah. And so... Um, I do think that you do sometimes have to protect players from themselves, particularly uh, if they do have something, part of their body that's not feeling great. We have seen players that do try to play through things and they don't tell the team about it, uh, not just with the Yankees, but elsewhere. And all of a sudden, something that should have been a two or three day thing turns into a three month thing. Um, and so you do have to you know, worry about those types of things. That said, if a guy is going really, really well and it's two games in a row, he probably doesn't need to, to sit for the third game. Yeah. I feel like I think there's a middle ground there probably. Yeah. I feel like they did it a lot at the beginning of the year, and that's kind of why we're just like, what the hell, it's April. Yeah. And then as the Yankees kind of slid further and further back and needed to make up ground, that's just the reality of it. That's not me being pessimistic. They just did not have a very good start to the year last year, and they didn't have a great season in general. But come July – August when they're really seeing that they're seven, eight, nine games back. I think judge was kind of forced into the lineup. I'm curious to see what those numbers would have looked like if he wasn't forced to play every day. I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm just, you know, just a curiosity thing. Yeah. And I'm not an expert on that type of stuff, but I, I will say I'm not sure how expert some of the people are who are making those decisions. Either. Oh yeah. <laughs> I got one more question for you and then I'll pass it to them. If they have any, you know, final thoughts or anything like that, but to me, at least going in, it looks like we have four uh, starting pitchers going into the season. What is their plan for that fifth one? I know you kind of have Heal and Clark Schmidt. Domingo just went down, but you've also got guys like Mike King kind of battling it out for that fifth spot. Is a trade realistic? Slash, are you going to break that on the show for us, of <laughs> Montas and Manaya, Or are we looking at one of these young guys and just hoping that they can they can do it? Well, I mean, the the, the they are – exploring the market and trying to find starting pitching. There, there's no question about that. Um, how successful they are, well, you know, nothing has, has come to fruition yet. So the answer is, yeah, it's going to be one of those guys. Do you have an idea of which yeah. one it might be? Who has the leg up so no, far? No, 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 nobody does because, you know, the games haven't started yet and, yeah. and it will be a true competition. You know, sometimes you go into these things and, um, you know, they have an idea of who they want to win those uh, those jobs and, and, and somehow they're able to make the numbers do exactly right. what they want them to do in order to back up the, the guy that they came to camp wanting to win. With a three and a half week spring training, it, it truly will be an open competition. Who looks good? Who looks the most advanced? And who looks like they'll be able to, you know, uh, take the mound and 
uh, you know, and give them some degree of distance, you know, right off the bat. I also wouldn't rule out a, um, you know, a, a six starter at the start of the season too, because remember a lot of these guys are not going to be built up That's because true. of three and a half week uh, spring training. And so you're not going to send out, you know, uh, even Garrett Cole, who's probably ahead of most guys and Tyone is, is pretty far ahead too. Um, are you counting Nestor Cortez, by the way, as one I was of those? Just about uh, to bring up Nestor Cortez. Yeah, was, if you guys want to, I would love to. I don't have think Nestor. he was counting okay, him. Yeah. He did. He okay. The yeah. Most that was, was, in, my, in my head, as I was rambling through that answer, I, I was trying to think: well, Were you including Cortez? Because I, I think Nestor Cortez probably, unless he just has a terrible spring or gets hurt or something like that, I think he'll it'll probably be him. Okay. Well, He's that's awesome. Projected. Even better. Sorry I for mean, forgetting him. Um, but here's the thing. You know, he what he does is contrary to what the Yankees analytic department likes to see out of their pitchers. You know, they they want guys that are, you know, throw 98 up in the zone, you know, sinker slider, you know, type of guys. Uh, and like I said, you know, fastball, you know, upper part of the zone. And he doesn't do any of those things. All he does is get guys out. But that may not be good <laughs> enough. They may decide that they want a, a heel or, you know, somebody that that more fits the mold of what they believe is a, uh, you know, a, a major league, you know, pitcher. Um, but, you know, their, their success in trying to change Davey Garcia hasn't gone real well so far. So, uh, you know, they don't always, hit, they don't always hit a home run, so to speak. I've got one uh, more if we're ready for it. Um, I know you mentioned that you like to talk to opposing team scouts a little bit more often than, the Yankees are there any Yankees players in say the top 15 prospects that are flying under the radar that maybe other scouts are a little bit more aware of um you know it's funny like uh Gomez I can't pronounce his first name a pitcher um uh yeah 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 it's it's like y-o-e and no sir I, I no I know I, who you're talking about you know what I'm talking about. I, I've heard his name uh you know mentioned uh Quite a bit because I because what I do is near the trade deadline uh, last year I would say who do you want from the Yankees system and then that, they'll you know they'll give me an idea uh, Vargas is one um, who's a shortstop also who not a lot of people talk about uh, but he was a name that, that I got I heard mentioned a lot last year uh, Everson Pereira uh, is one uh, that I've heard a, a bit about um, and uh, uh, they like Josh Bro. And uh, Randy and uh, Randy Vasquez is one too. That's just a few um, off the top that, that I remember mentioned. But is is does yes. Everson Pereira have any chance at making the big leagues anytime soon? Did do, do they see him? Because I feel like Florial's kind of faded off. Do they see him at any capacity as part of this next wave? He, I know he's kind of a younger uh, guy, but he's uh, he's immensely talented, obviously, but. I can't say off the top of my head. I remember where he uh, where he finished last year. I think he was double A, maybe or high A. I don't know. It, either yeah, way, I, I was just I was yeah, just curious if they I, were know, as high on it as you know some other people are. It's probably unlikely you'd see him in the big leagues this year, just because you know again I, you know I'll look up to see where he finished you know the season. But if, if he finished the year, let's say in in single A or, or even double A, uh, you could you can assume he'd probably start where he finished last right. year. And then that's a huge, that's a pretty big jump yeah. to get to the big leagues in, in one year, especially when, you know, they do have, you know, their farm system is not quite as good. I don't believe uh, as they, they will tell you it is and that, that other outlets are happy, all too happy to report because that's what the Yankees are telling them. Um, but it is, it's a much better farm system than it was five years ago, particularly uh, in terms of position players. So yeah, we got shortstops. Uh, yeah. We got shortstops and middle infielders coming out of the, the you know what, um, so I, I just I, I don't think I think he'd have to leapfrog an awful lot of people to you know to get to that point. So I, I don't I, I think that would be a, a long shot. But as we as we open this with, never say never. Fair enough. So shifting gears a little bit, if you have time for one more question, go. Um, if you, I know you don't really like to say and you haven't said it in ten years, but if you could pick one oh. person to be in the best shape of their life from spring training right now, <laughs> who, who would that be? Ooh, I I mean. I, He's always in good shape, so John Carlos Stanton probably doesn't work. Um, you know, going from ninety nine percent body fat to ninety nine point two is not. not yeah, really. yeah, it, it, yeah. I, I think he's been that way probably since he was thirteen years old. <laughs> um, 
you know, Judge is always in good shape. I, I, you know, who, you know, who added some muscle and I haven't talked to him yet because we get in the clubhouse and, you know, guys aren't always in there or someone, another media person has talked to him. So you haven't a chance to talk to him. I want to talk to Joey Gallo. It looks like Gallo put on some muscle and he, he's got a little bit different body, uh, at least from, you know, my, my eye test, uh, whatever that's worth. And oftentimes worth not much. Um, but, but he looks different to me in a good way. Um, and so he's one that's jumped out to me. Uh, Glaber has jumped out a little bit and, uh, and Duhar as well, I have to say, but, and Duhar is another one who always, you know, looks like he's pretty, uh, you know, chiseled out of uh, stone as they say. Uh, so I'll, I'll go with, again, off the top, not having the roster in front of me, I would go with Joey Gallo. Does Andohar even have a spot? Is he going to be on the roster in any capacity? You think, um, you know, assuming health for everyone, probably not, but, you know, you guys, I'm sure, have seen enough spring trainings over the years to uh, realize that uh, what, what you enter the spring with and what you leave with, uh, you know, oftentimes looks uh, pretty different because of, you know, the attrition that takes place, uh, particularly when you're talking about a three and a half version, three and a half week version of it, where, you know, we saw what, what happened with guys back in 2020 when they had a three week spring training before the, uh, the COVID shortened season. Um, it's the number one fear in the sport talking to another uh, manager uh, a couple of days ago before reporting down here, uh, he said, we're all scared to death managers. Uh, and they talk about it of, of what the injury situation is going to look like because uh, of the three, the short and three and a half weeks. I know that was a huge thing with the players coming into that 2020 season and everybody was getting hurt. It seemed like at the beginning, and that was just a big narrative around the whole season in general is, you know, we're dealing with this, everything going on. And now on top of that, everybody's getting hurt too. So it feels kind of similar in that regard, as far as, you know, the short time frame stuff like that. I'm also a little worried about that. That was my first thought when I saw that the deal got done, but, um, yeah, and it's it's a real it's a real fear, and it's 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 the the again the number one topic uh, of that that scares teams is that and and this manager that I was talking to uh, he, he tagged it by saying you know your your season can be over before it starts. That's so terrifying, especially just knowing our the Yankees roster and those few cornerstone people. Just thinking about that that gives me nightmares. So. I'm gonna pretend I didn't hear that. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad that we could we could end on such an uplifting note. I have that. I have that effect on people. Oh, here we go. We'll end it on an uplifting note. Are the Yankees gonna win the AL East this year? I don't believe so. No, that's not, that's <laughs> not very uplifting. Well, <laughs> hey, look, but no, it really wasn't. I get from your guys' standpoint. Um, but I have to say, my predictions generally are not the most accurate. Okay, I'll take that. So you know, so so you know, DraftKings would not. Well, actually, they DraftKings would very much like me to play because I'd probably <laughs> be wrong on whatever I decided to play, and whoever I decided to play. I mean, that's that's the case with most people. But uh, anyway, we we appreciate the time. I know you're a busy man, so you'll get back at, out there trying. If you if you find some news, we would like you as a source. That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. um, if Manaya does end up becoming a Yankee tomorrow, before tweeting it, just let us know. And then yep, absolutely. I got you guys covered. We can just tweet at the same time, just so we, <laughs> we both get some of the glory. But anyway, appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, look forward to, to following your 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 reporting along all season, and uh, hopefully the Yankees bring home a twenty eight because it's a lot more fun to to cover a team that wins than loses. Guys, I enjoyed talking with you. Had a lot of fun, and uh, keep in touch. Absolutely, yeah, for sure. Love to have you back on midway through the season or something, kind of check in. So, absolutely. Summer's gone, but you can be my winter love. Summer's gone, but you can be mine. The world stops spinning when you open your eyes, my darling. What a beautiful soul you
reason, there's reason for all of the twists in a matter of days. Summer's gone, but you can be my winter love. Summer's gone, but you can be the energy that fell from the sky when I saw you at first. And it wasn't a dream, and I knew it was you that I saw when I saw what I saw. And I got my first, and I'm running for joy. You're burning for mercy, I'm ready for more. Summer's gone, but you can be my winter love. Summer's gone, but you can be mine. The world stops spinning when you open your eyes, my God. What a beautiful soul. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.